Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Heath. I am the lead pastor here at Reach, getting so close to just letting it go and calling myself senior pastor, uh, but still going to go with lead right now. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this morning. Um, I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse, um, but I plan to make it more uncomfortable for us to stay where we're at in the future. Um, Today's going to be one of those messages that um, I read a quote this week that just stirred the pot, uh, which I'll talk about in just a second. Um, but I want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan for you, and it is not to live longer and have a, a retirement account that you can live off of. God has a purpose for you that is better than you can imagine, and he is waiting for you to engage. And in that engagement, you'll find life that you've been looking for, period. And that's what I want to make uncomfortable for you. Not to make you uncomfortable, but to make you uncomfortable to say, I'm okay and I want to settle here. That's our problem. In every aspect of your life where things aren't going well, it's an area. Nothing that I say is ever universal, so don't like email me later and be like, well, you don't know my story. But every area, almost every area in your life where you're not happy with, it's an area that you've settled in. Whether it's relational, whether it's spiritual, whether it is physical, discomfort is the way to change, and welcome to it. Amen. Okay, so I read this quote uh, in a book this week. It says, if your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. Listen, if your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. Because if the gospel gets you, you can't help yourself. You cannot. And it stirred something to me, and I I, I just want to make this clear. Why does the church, the church, universal, and this church exist? To share the gospel. The gospel means good news, and it is the best news that you and anyone you will interact with will ever hear. A world separated from God by sin, and yes, there is sin in the world, and we're not just going to say, oh, you know, it's okay anymore. Separated from God by sin, (laughs) and has a God willing to make a way back to himself. Through the once and for all sacrifice of the Son of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we, we might become the righteousness of God. This should motivate us to action. 
But we have become, I believe, numb to this wonderful news. And this is not for all of you horrible people that are listening to the words coming out of my mouth. This is for me included, super convicted on how many unsaved people I have around me. We can bubble ourselves in so much so that we only interact with people that think like us and live like us and do what we do because it's easier that way. And I'm just going to tell you, Jesus hasn't called us to live in that world. Has this, the good news, become old news to you? Jesus has what everyone needs now and forever, which is forever is what we get with him. And one of your jobs is to bring people to Jesus, which I'm going to, that's what today's message is all about. And today we'll see the length that people will go to bring Jesus or bring people to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, convict us. Lord, I just rebuke condemnation that would love to say that we're worthless and of no value to you because of what we haven't done in the past. Lord, but I'll take all the conviction in the world that moves us to action, that moves us to hope, and moves other people because of our action into a place of experiencing you. So, Lord, let us settle into discomfort and let us see the value of you in us so that we will talk about that value outside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians, if you're in, I'm not preaching this, but this is a side note. This is the benefit of uh, reading your one-year Bible. And if you read it along with us, you'll, you'll, you'll get some of these things. This morning, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul has this comment about what your aroma is. What do you smell like? You ever been in the subway? You ever leave Subway? What do you smell like? Subway. When we get around Jesus and there's no other way, we leave and smell like Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Like your aroma is bringing people either to an awakening to what life is or a conviction of where they're at. And I don't mean just us browbeating people. Look, it should be in you so that your smell... And I know that's weird. You're like, ooh, is this a cologne? You're like, I didn't shower this morning. People are thinking about what they smell. And I'm not talking about your scent. But the aroma of your life should entice people. And if it's not, the good news is that can change. And believe it or not, it can change a lot quicker than you think it can change. By just changing a few things in your life. That's for free. So my one thing today is, is the gospel touching people through you? We're going to jump into Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. This is a story, if you've been in and around church, you have probably heard. For those that have watched The Chosen, uh, it's episode 6, season 1. You'll get a visual of it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just Google The Chosen. Watch it. They're great. Okay, they are not the gospel. Don't get overwhelmed by like, oh, there's a lady in the, because it talks about the four men that carried him. Four men were carrying him. There's a lady that interacts. Don't get overwhelmed by it. But I'm telling you, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Like when he healed the leper at the beginning of that thing, it brings, brought me to tears. I was just watching it in preparation for this. Moved. 
me. If Jesus is half what the chosen displays, which he is more than that, it's a pathetic representation of the God we serve. And that's not saying something about chosen. That's saying something about the God we serve. Radical. But So, okay. Jesus is getting ready to go into Capernaum. So, in verse 1 it says, And when he returned, because this is kind of his base camp, to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. Now, whether this is his home, whether this is Peter's home, or wherever he was at, he was in a home. Here's some things that you need to know so that you can understand this culture. In this culture, if the door was open, you are welcome to enter. You are welcome to engage. And all these parties that we see that people are around and like, I don't know about you, if you've thrown a dinner party, if you have random neighbors standing outside your door, like, oh, that's a good point. That's weird, right? In this culture, it was not weird. If the door was open, people would come in. So Capernaum became Jesus' kind of base of operations after he was run out by the religious officials from Nazareth. Peter and Andrew are from Capernaum. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector there. People were healed in this city. The centurion's son, the nobleman's son, Peter's mother-in-law, Jairus' daughter uh, was raised to life. (laughs) And the woman with the issue of blood, and I think there was one other uh, um, spirit, evil spirit was set out from somebody in this city. And you're like, man, I want to live in that city. Um, Do you know that this city was also mentioned in the woes? There's a section in the gospel that Jesus says, woe to you cities, because you saw the works of God and you didn't. Because he says, if these works were done in other city, they would have fallen and repented and followed Jesus. So you may go, ooh, I want to live in that city. But that city saw all those things, and this is how we become numb to the gospel. They saw all those things. And said, oh, that's great. Let's go and see the show and then leave with nothing. Verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Open door. So the inside of the house, which I would say this is a small house. This isn't like a wealthy mansion. This is probably a small one-room house. Inside, packed. Outside, doorway, packed. Outside of the doorway, packed. People listening to the gospel. Listening to the good news. Jesus, and hear this, hear this, hear this. Jesus did not have a healing ministry. He had a preaching ministry. You may see this when you read the Gospels. Jesus, which seems counterproductive, would heal somebody and says, Hey, 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 don't tell anybody. If someone gets raised from the dead and reached community church had something to do with it. Like, I'm just telling you. I'm like, yep, look what happened here. Jesus didn't do that because Jesus wasn't interested in the crowd. He was interested in the committed He was interested in people that were willing to hear, listen, and obey. Period. But miracles, hear this, miracles have a way of opening ears and hearts. And we, shocker, at this church believe that God still does miracles. And hopefully not a shocker. Hopefully you, regardless of where you're from, still believe that God still moves. He didn't leave us with this 
this, these words to just study and do the best we can, he interacts with us. There is power accessible through him now. <clears throat> Verse 3. And they came, we're going to talk about the they in just a second, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Paralytic. Uh, he could have been um, paralyzed from the waist down. He could have been completely paralyzed, but he wasn't getting around on his own. That's what you need to know. <clears throat> and hear this, because I'm tying this into this physical healing, which we're going to talk about several other little things that go on. But can the paralytic get there on his own? No. Hear this. Can the lost get there on their own? And you're like, oh, maybe they can. God can do anything. And I've heard miraculous stories of Jesus appearing to people in dreams and saving them outside of someone preaching the gospel. But in Romans 10, Paul was like, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? And how are they going to preach if somebody doesn't go? Period. So they have to hear it. The lost aren't just going to one day decide they need you to do your part in the kingdom that God has placed you in. Verse 4, it says, When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed down which the paralytic lay. Okay. Okay. I like my house. And if somebody climbed up on my roof and hacked a hole in it and lowered somebody down it, it'd be frustrating. Uh, most of these roofs, roofs, just to get an idea, they were uh, a flat roof. They usually were set with poles, and then they had um, mud, debris, other stain in between the slats. Sometimes <laughs> I read one uh, commentary that even said that like it was uh, manure, like there would be kind of all kinds of stuff in that. So you imagine... You know, Jesus is getting a little poop. They didn't care. They, hear me, they had an obstacle, which you do live in them every day. Your people that you're thinking of, and hopefully God will put on your hearts today, will have obstacles to get to Jesus. And you could get to him. So I'm sure they heard there's this man who does miracles, and they were hopeless for their friend before Jesus. They were so hopeless that they were willing to carry him, however far they carried him, to this house. They got to the house. They see the crowd. There's no way to get to Jesus for their friend. They look up on the roof, and they, I don't know who had this idea. They're like, hey, Jesus is preaching a good sermon to these people. They're listening and could you imagine, if you've ever had anybody in your attic or on your roof, if you've got a one-story house, you hear someone walking on it. And these aren't like well-constructed built houses like we have today. You know, could you imagine the footfalls on this little roof as Jesus was preaching people like he knew what was going on? I think, this is Heath's opinion, he ignored it because he wanted to preach and he wanted people to be like, he didn't want to stop it. He wanted to see that roof get Ripped apart. And can you imagine the first part? And the homeowner was in the house. Okay? The homeowner was in the house as that first little piece came up and debris is falling down. And they're like, oh, my 
world. And then they see this person being lowered down in front of Jesus through a new hole in their roof. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. They could not fix their friend, but they believed that Jesus could. Which is the prerequisite for talking to people about Jesus. So what did they do? They ripped a hole in someone else's roof. Question. This is for you. Do you believe that Jesus can fix it? What's going on in you right now? The trauma, the pain, the suffering, whatever is going on in your life. Do you believe that Jesus can fix it? And that doesn't mean that he will fix it. Hear me. Not everyone gets healed. We just talked about a couple weeks ago when he went in to that pool, only one of the crowd was healed that day. Is Jesus the answer? Many of our problems we seek everywhere else before we go to Jesus. Instead of starting with Jesus, we go everywhere else, just like the woman with the issue of blood. She went everywhere else and in her desperation will reach out to Jesus. What would you be willing to do for someone that you loved? Like, I think, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I think if you had the gravity of eternity and the reality that people, when they leave this world, are going to go one of two places. They're going to spend eternity with heaven, in heaven, with God the Father, or they're not. And the not, let's just call it hell, like, I think if we got the gravity of that, we would be annoyingly so talking about Jesus. And I, I've wept in here, which I don't do a lot, and I'm not planning to do today, about my children. Like, I am, I want, the hardest part of this job is that I would do all of this and keep it going for 10 years, which we celebrate in a few months, a few weeks, and my children not love Jesus at the end of it. Like I'm, I'm burdened by it. And we in this room have people that we love that are in the same position. And what are you willing to do? See, if we understood the gospel, if we understood the gravity of what's going on, if we understand that this isn't our world, this isn't our kingdom, then we would do everything in our power to bring people to Jesus. Because we don't know tomorrow. I think when we are lying on our deathbed, I don't think you're going to be burdened by the bad things that you've done. I think you're going to be burdened by the things that you are unwilling to do out of fear and laziness or whatever. I think that's what's going to wreck us. Verse 5 says, and when Jesus, and this is just weird, and I don't have time to get into this. When Jesus saw their faith, which is the four people that lowered him through the roof, their faith. This, this whole next two verses will just wreck you because you're like, I don't even know what's going on. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Did he go down that hole to get his sins forgiven? No! No, that that was not the plan. Their plan was their friend to be able to walk again. But God, let me hear this, hear this for you. God is more interested in what's going on inside of you than a physical healing. Period. Because if you get a physical healing and you miss Jesus, you lose eternity. If God gets your heart and God captures you in that, you get forever. See, Jesus saw their faith. What faith do you have for those around you? Because you're going to have to have faith that they don't. Or they would already know Jesus. You're going to have to believe more for them than you believe for yourself. And let me just tell you, this is a spiritual gift that God has given me. I will have more faith for you on your thousandth failure than I'll have for myself. Which is sad. But I will look you in the face with all sincerity and say, God has something good for this. And in my own life, I'll be like... Why does he hate me? See, I need a I need a Heath or a Barnabas. Barnabas was one of the uh, disciples that incurred. I need a Barnabas in my life at times to be like, and I have those, but I need that. See, don't skip this. In our present, it's not unusual if you've been around church to hear the concept that Jesus forgives sins. In this culture, there was no Jesus. There is presently, but there is no like concept of what Jesus came to do. And so for Jesus, and he did this on purpose, this is part of the reason why he's dead. Jesus forgave sin. And it's unusual to us. I mean, it's not unusual to us because, you know, if you've been around Christianity, you're like, yeah, 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 he did it, he did it. It's very strange and very much a one-way ticket to the cross in this culture. Because God alone was the one that had the capacity to do this. So Jesus, one, was stirring the pot. Two, was saying to those listening, I have the authority to do what wasn't possible before. Verse 6 says, now some of the scribes were sitting there, because they're always there. I don't know if you know this, but if you read the Gospels, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they're like the religious rulers. The scribes were like the lawyers of the day. They knew the law. They would handle disagreements. And they, they would argue. They, this, this wasn't like, oh, is, is that a bad thing that what he just said? They're like, oh, no. But they were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts. They didn't say anything out loud. This is internally like, oh, no, he didn't. Like internally, I just, you know, I wanted you to hear what's going on inside of my head. They didn't. It was just inside. And they're thinking to themselves, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew. Something's wrong with this statement. And it is wrong if Jesus isn't who Jesus is. 
It is wrong. Like you, although it talks about the New Testament that as we forgive, he'll forgive and all that other stuff. But we don't pronounce forgiveness in the sense that we grant it to them. Okay, just so we're on the same page. Uh, Verse eight. And immediately Jesus, because he knows what's going on inside of them. and, And I know this is a shocker and I say this on the regular. Jesus is well aware of what's going on inside of you. Period. He's aware of your thoughts and your feelings when your wife or spouse or significant other is fully unaware of what's going on inside of you, which this is the tension that I live in in a marriage where I think that after 24 plus years, we should know what each other thinks. You should know. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. It still doesn't work. If you don't use words, they're clueless. Jesus He is not clueless. He knows what's going on. Even when your mouth is saying one thing, he's very aware of what your heart means. Period. He knew what was going on. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit what they were questioning within themselves, he said out loud, why do you question these things in your hearts? You ever been thinking something and somebody speaks to what you're thinking inside of you? That would be weird. You'd be like, what did you say? Yeah, Jesus knows. Why? Because he's God, and God knows everything, which is one of the things that we're going to talk about in the small group that I'm leading. Sorry, anyway, side note, side note. Um, He knows everything. Jesus was giving them a cause to send him to the cross, and he did it over and over and over again. This was planned. This healing may have had more to do with stirring the pot to send him to the cross, because without the cross, hear this, there would be none of this. And that was a thing early on in my Christianity. I was always frustrated. Those daggone people that killed Jesus, you killed Jesus. Your sin caused Jesus to go to the cross. You didn't participate in... You know, crucify him, crucify him. But with every sin that you've ever committed, you shouted those words. And I think, well, man, if I was there, I might have could have rescued Jesus. There was nothing that was going to stop Jesus. Pilate would be like, if you knew the authority that I had, you would tell, you know, you would ask and I would grant. And Jesus like, you ain't going to do nothing that the father hasn't allowed you to do. I want that confidence. I want that confidence to be like when the world's coming against me. Nah, you think, you know, what what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm. We have a need for the cross. Verse 9. Which is easier? To say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven, forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk. Because I can say, I can say to any of y'all in this room, something internal that no one will know about, your sins are forgiven. Do you know that that just happened? I mean, because anyone could say those words and there's no litmus test to tell you that happened. But when you speak a healing over someone that isn't walking and he walks, watch out. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, and this is a, and we don't, we also don't think about these words. The Son of Man was a, a descriptor of the coming Messiah, 
<laughs> of the Savior, of the Christ, for him to say those words over himself is as much a blasphemous thing for them to hear than him to say your sins are forgiven, which those two things tie. He can say your sins are forgiven because he is the Son of Man. So the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Here's what you need to know. This man needed his sins forgiven. He didn't need to walk again. But Jesus gave him both. Jesus gave him both. And really, the reason why he gave him the second one is because he wanted to show to those watching who he really was. Every miracle now and then that Jesus does is always to communicate to you who he is. It's not for you. The healing you get to walk in, the forgiveness of sin you get to walk in, but it is a demonstration of who he is. Verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, sound familiar, and went out before them all. <laughs> okay, crowd Packed room, packed doorway, packed alleyway. They see it. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, like somebody that's been paralytic for a while, atrophy sets in. Like they're not, you know, like they're not looking at, you're not looking at muscular legs. But I believe, and I've said this last week, I think, that when when Jesus said, get up and walk, them legs and because he arose immediately, he like, if you ain't walked in a while, like, just lay down for a while. Just don't move for like three days and then try to get up. You're going to be like, I'm up. Oh, and, and I'm going to pick up something. <laughs> he got up immediately. He picked up his bedding and he walked out the door. Could you imagine? The people were like, oh. My goodness, his people are still on the roof. I think at this point, the homeowner's like, we can fix that. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. No big Jesus. I'm glad people probably came to see his house. If it was still standing, people would go and be like, this is where. You see that tile right there? It's fixed, but that's where he came through the wall. Ceiling. <clears throat> he went out before them all. So that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never saw anything like this. Look, look, listen. When Jesus moves, the world doesn't praise you. It praises him. When Jesus moves in you, in me, in this church, the glory should be given to the Father and not us. I love Paul who, like, I think it was Paul, he went into the city and they healed somebody and they thought they were about to sacrifice to him like they were Zeus and Hermones or whatever that guy's name is. I don't know why I try to think of something while I'm preaching. Like, it's never a good idea. Aunt Hermes. Um, and they wanted to sacrifice to him and he ripped his clothes and he's like, I am just a man. It is not me. And so here's the beauty of what I'm going to challenge you to is you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to say all the right things. You don't have to know all the right things, but you've got to trust in Jesus to lead you. Because all they did was bring him to Jesus. 
And that's a little bit more complicated than finding the house that he's in and ripping a hole in it. It's being so captured by Jesus that we cannot help. And I'm always super convicted. When I'm doing a challenge or when I'm doing something hard like this thing, I'm not even going to say the name of it. You know what it is. Do you know what I talk about a lot? And this aggravates the snot out of Jody. That. Why do I talk about it a lot? Because I see benefit of what's going on in my life because of me doing it. Same thing with F3. And I talk about it. And people are like, why do you talk about it? Because I love what it does. And those are stupid. Everything that those two things are doing for me have no meaning past this life. Why can't we be excited about what Jesus is doing? One, I believe because we're not allowing him to do anything in our life. When we allow him to do things in our life, do you think this guy had trouble talking about Jesus? No. Do you think Lazarus had a hard time telling people about what Jesus has done for him? No. Do you think the woman at the well, who I am always, it just baffles me. If someone just read your list of every sin that you've ever done, and you're like, I'm going to go tell everybody this guy just read my mail. And he, she was so excited, the whole town came out. How many people have been excited when somebody exposes all your sin? Usually they, they leave town. They don't come back. I think it's because when Jesus gets involved, it is all we can do to point to him. And so my challenge for you this morning isn't necessarily just to go out and start telling people to Jesus and bring two friends back next week, which those would be great. My challenge to you is to figure out how you can love Jesus enough that it is natural for you to talk about him. Let me just tell you, like some of the benefit of things that are going on, being in the word every day will change you. Reading gospel-centered, gospel-saturated stuff will change you. Being sensitive enough to want to listen to God. I'm telling you, all it takes is one little thing. Is if one little thing happens to you and you're attributing it to God, it's, it's like it is, Lord, I'm going to make a Indiana Jones reference. Usually I reference it to sin. You know that you know, big boulder that chases Indiana Jones out of the temple? It's like that. Once that thing, you know, that big thing had been sitting there forever and held by some little latch or some little rock or some little pebble, and it got moved, and when it got moved, it started moving. And when Jesus starts doing stuff in our life, it is like that. But we have the responsibility, and this is something I plan on dealing with in this fall, we have the responsibility of maintaining this. We have the responsibility... If you're expecting Jesus to motivate you every day to do what you should be doing, you're in trouble. But let me promise you this. If you do the things that you know you should do, even when you don't want to do them, you will get benefit from them. Some days you're going to wake up and be like, I don't want to read or I don't have time and I don't whatever. But if it is eternity, it's worth investing in it. So I'm going to read this quote again. If your gospel isn't touching others, then it hasn't touched you. Is the gospel being experienced by those around you because of you? 
and I'm, I'm going to get into your mess right now. Because some of us, we're thinking of the best case scenario when it does work, and you're like, yeah, they know, they know Jesus. So, even in traffic? Ooh. I know, you know me, like, I don't do well in traffic. I'm, I'm working on it. <clears throat> even when you are tired and stressed? Even at the DMV? Man, I don't know if you've been to the DMV lately. I've been a couple times. It's huh. Okay, how, how about this? Even when sinners are sinning against you for no reason, are they experiencing the gospel? Because if you read the gospels, there's a lot of picking up your cross. There's a lot of turning the other cheek. There is a lot of you Taking it on the chin. Let me get even more personal. Is, is your significant other experiencing the gospel through you? I think the hardest people in your world to let the goodness of God be seen by is those closest to you. If you want the gospel to get to others, then the good news has to be good news to you. And it is good news. Here's a question for you. Do you, do you need Jesus? And let me give you the answer. Yes. The answer every day for the rest of your life while you live and breathe in this side of eternity will always be yes. There will never be a moment. I think the closer you get to God, the more you realize how much more you need him. If you have a low view of your need for God, you have a low view of your sin. You have low view of his holiness, which is also another chapter in the book that we're going to do. Um, plug. Promise I won't do this for the next three weeks, but this is the first Sunday. A little excited. So here's another question. Who around you needs Jesus? And what's your plan to get him there? Are you willing to make a hole in a roof? Look, we have one major job as a church. And that's to add to his family. And if we're not doing it, we collectively, then we're not doing our job. Let me just take this out of the air and put it in our brains. It is not my responsibility to do it alone. It is not my responsibility to be the only one that talks about Jesus. It is my responsibility for me to talk to others about Jesus, but it is no longer, I'm going to remove this from you, it is no longer, you no longer have the ability to be, that's pastor's job. Because we are called a, a fellowship of priests, you. And literally, the church exists to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It is our job collectively. Do you know anyone that doesn't know Jesus? And if your answer is no... This is dangerous. Pray for God to send you one. People that don't know Jesus 
are messy. But let's just all agree that every one of us in here with Jesus are still messy. Here's the last thing I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. Here's a prayer that you can start praying. It's one that I've been saying. There's three things. Um, But begin to pray for Jesus to ruin you for the mission. Ruin you. If you don't have a broken heart for those that are not in this room, then you're not connected to to Jesus the way you need to be. Because he was on point. He was on mission. And he never left that mission while he was on this planet. And he called us to follow him. If we're going to change people's lives, we have to be changed. So my, my one thing for you today, if nothing else, is declare your need for Jesus. And get in the game. Make a plan to read your Bible. Find other supplemental things to read with your Bible that point you to the gospel over and over again. And for those that are like, I don't like to read, get over it. Read. I think the best thing that you can do, and this is something I've done over the last 60-some days. I've had to read 10 pages a day. One of the challenges that I had. Best thing I've ever done. Ten pages a day. And you're like, I don't have time. Lie. You don't want to make time. If, I, if, if a little number would come above every head, everyone's head in this room to show the hours, minutes, and seconds that you've spent watching TV and playing in social media, you would be embarrassed to say that you don't have time to be in the Word. That's the uncomfortableness that I'm talking about. He's worth it. And until he's worth it to you, he will not be worth it to you to share to other people. So it has to start there. It has to. And if you're not there, then ask God to ruin you for the mission. Ask God to ruin you. Expose your need for him. Man, I didn't want to pray it. I don't like praying. I don't like being ruined. I like feeling confident and whoo-hoo, look what's going on. I want to be ruined because I'm sick and tired of not being ruined. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that first we would have a hunger and a desire to know you that the lies of this world would be shaken off. The diminished view of you would be taken away. And we, right now, in the name of Jesus, would understand how great you are. Lord, you've called us to build your kingdom. And we've got to be connected to the kingdom to build it. So connect us to the kingdom. And in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would ruin us for the mission that you've called us to, every single one of us. And Lord, I pray that as we faithfully begin to walk this out, not in perfection, that you do the miraculous. 
Lord, I pray in Jesus' name out of this Sunday that people would know your kingdom and your grace and your mercy and your love because of what starts today. So ruin us. Lord, I pray for the messy relationships that are going to begin as we begin to share the gospel with people that don't want it, that don't think they need it. But Lord, I pray that the gospel would be such good news that we would continue to annoy them over and over. And I say annoy in the lovingest way that I can. Because more than anything else that we encourage people to do, you are the most important of those. I pray like John the Baptist prayed, Lord, we must decrease so that you can increase. Lord, our only access to power is surrender and weakness. So, Lord, let us be weak before you so that you can make us strong in this mission that you've placed us in. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for those in this room that they aren't taking you serious your gospel serious. They're playing with sin. Lord, I pray right now that you would convict their hearts. Not to run and away and be sorrowful, but Lord, I pray that the hope of the gospel would reach everyone in this room right now. And where salvation is needed, bring it. For the rest of us, Lord, we need sanctification. We need to be shaping ourselves into the image of you by your power, by your grace, by the influence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we surrender to that. Change us so that we can change others. Lord, ruin us for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.